We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 6. And this is what it says. We do, however, speak a wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. On the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom and a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages of, um, for our glory. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom, because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love him. Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except his Spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. We also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit, because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything, and yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. For who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, I am I'm filled with, God, I'm just filled with all of you. Because of how you work, how you bring people together to worship, to have family, to have connection with one another, and even just to share the love, the overflowing love that you have for us. God, when we truly are in tune with your spirit, when we have received the gift that you've given us through Christ, we can't do anything but share the love and grace that you've shown us because, God, it is so much, it is so overwhelming that we have to share it with others. God, I pray that we just continue to have that spirit, that spirit that you've given us, spirit Work through us to change our heart, transform us to be a people that love, that care, that want to pour out and serve and show gratitude to others. Father, open up our ears and our hearts this morning as we listen to your word, as we sing, as we interact with others to see how you are at work here with us. Father, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I received an interesting text a little bit earlier this week from Toyota. It said, based on your driving habits and factory recommendation, your Corolla is due for service. Now, I had to step back for a moment because I was kind of like, my driving habits? Like, what are they trying to say here? Do they know something that, well, something that, yes, yes. <laughs> they, they know my driving But But it was funny because it, it, it jostled me uh, to remind that based on our living habits and the way we were designed, our spirits are designed for service. And service comes in many forms and many ways. Some ways it's that maintenance of our hearts. Spending time in a gathering like this where we're able to say, Okay, Lord, I need you to work in my heart and my life. My soul needs repaired. My spirit needs mended. 
In other ways, it's in things like boo buckets, where we show up and we're able to not just receive the service to maintenance, but provide an expression of maintenance to our community to wake them up from the stupor of everyday life that says everything that is is in this finite box. And it's this mechanical, just way we go about it, but instead we can interject something into the everyday things of life to say there's something bigger, there's something more important, and there's something powerful that wants to interrupt your life and, in fact, make you whole. And that's why we're in this series on Master Class, where we've been using 1 Corinthians as our basis, as this text to say, hey, our soul, our spirit needs service. And Paul was writing to this church in Corinth that was saying, based on their behavior, their outward display of actions, that their actual spirit needed service, needed worked on. And he writes this letter and divides this letter up into different sections where he addresses the behavior, but not only just addresses the behavior and says, hey, you're doing it wrong, but he says there is a belief underneath your behavior that is faulty, that needs mended. And if you've been following this series thus far, we're in a section where Paul is speaking about divisions within the church. And the divisions within the church have come because the church has been has compared Paul to other circulating speakers, evaluating his style. And they've been more influenced by their culture than the cross on what it means to be spiritual. And Paul, as we looked at in week one, wants them to become what they already are in Christ. And as we moved into week two, we looked at how Jesus' a Jesus brand is a dif- is different between how be- having a Jesus brand is different than becoming like Jesus. And we must practice our beliefs and not just signal our beliefs. Week three, we looked at how you will not just reason yourself to belief. You will not think yourself into eternity. And what you actually believe shows up in your behavior. And in our modern day, people see belief as less than belief and more as trying on a style of clothes. In a selfish world, selflessness seems foolish. And so if this isn't real wisdom, if selfishness doing what's right for you in your own eyes isn't real wisdom, it begs the question, than what is, which is where we find ourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul is going to begin to answer that question. He's kind of gone and stripped down and said, okay, so if, if what the world tells me is wisdom isn't actual wisdom, what is true wisdom? And here Paul answers this question with this. The roles of the Spirit is to reveal the cross as God's Wisdom. Saying it a different way, wisdom can be defined as knowledge of the cross applied according to the Spirit's guidance. Wisdom can be defined as knowledge applied according to the Spirit's guidance. To keep with that um, metaphor, Paul had to kind of convince them that he says, hey, there are warning signs in your lives. The signals on the dash are flashing. And for some of us, when those warning signs are flashing, 
we just keep going. Which is why I got a text from Toyota that says, hey, you need to come in for service. We have a habit of when there are some warning signs flashing in our life, trying to alert us to something needs repair. We want and we tend to keep going thinking, I'll finally deal with it when it's broken. But God drops in little warning signs into our life to alert us that we can actually do some maintenance, thus not having to wait until things are broken. Chances are right now there's something that is a little broken in your life, something that's a little off-kilter, something that's a little out of alignment. And you maybe have tried to fix it using your own wisdom. Maybe that's following some speakers. Maybe that's, as Paul critiques, maybe that's trying to reason yourself that, well, this and this and this, and this is why I am in the position I'm in. And, And you try to trace that logic all the way through. But yet when you try to reverse engineer it and fix that logic, it doesn't quite work out. And what Paul is saying is it's not a speaker or an exterior brand or your logic that is going to solve the problem. It's actually the foolishness of the cross. And you may think yourself as spiritual or as wise when you try to solve your problems with your own wisdom. But the irony is, not that you can't solve your problems with your own wisdom, but you actually need to think of yourself less and of God more, inviting Him to come in and shape your life. That it's not more of yourself, but it's more of Him which is the foolishness of the cross. See, the good news that Jesus came to live a life and died a death and was raised victoriously, that is a message that can shape our life. And the wisdom they are pursuing, this church in Corinth, is not pursuing that type of wisdom. They say they are pursuing it, but their behavior is pointing to something different. See, they're trying to be spiritual without being transformed by the Spirit. They do have the Spirit. They have access to the mind of Christ. And they should be able to see God's wisdom for what it is. But what's happening is they see the way those around them are living and being influenced. And we think, and they thought, well, maybe the grass is greener over there. And so maybe if I just do more like them, it will solve my problem. But it's not by outward change, but it's an inward invitation of the Spirit to transform them from the inside out. They're pursuing wisdom from the world, but they need to see the wisdom of the cross come out in their everyday life. See, to say it another way, The challenge isn't the rational arguments for the existence of God as we go through our life. We can think ourselves and prove ourselves that God is real. We experience Him. We we can go through the arguments. But the challenge is for those who are Christians to live the way of Jesus in such a way that it unsettles us from our stupor. That it unsettles others from their stupor. That's why a regular part of our gathering Charles say, hey, I know this is a, a little off script, whatever script is supposed to be. But let's get together and pray. 
That's why we have a response time. Because that's not prescriptive that you should just do this. But we need to alert ourselves that so much of our day is calendared out, is scheduled out, or I'm supposed to do this and then this and then this. Whether that's actually on our calendar or we've gone through the mental checklist in our mind, this is what I need to do today. Even some of you who are free spirit and like, I don't plan anything. I just go with the flow. You have some picture in your mind about the way your life and day is supposed to go. But we forget that there's a transcendent reality that wants to interrupt our lives. And so we need moments to wake us up that everything is not in an enclosed box, that everything is not just mechanical, but actually the, box, the lid of the box needs to be opened and in fact maybe even tipped over. And that allow God to step in and move and create and move some things around so that we can remember and experience who he is. And that's why when Paul begins to outline this passage of Scripture, and, and we, can, we can see it summarized in three ways, they say we've got to be able to access the Spirit. So Paul begins by setting forth the nature of God's wisdom in terms of the basic contrast between those whom it was destined and those who cannot perceive it. Because even as I describe Life being in a finite box and a transcendent reality interrupting us. Some of you are like, that seems a little odd. That seems a little weird. I want that, but I'm not sure I've ever experienced that. What was hidden as a mystery has now been revealed in Jesus. And Paul is going to show us how to access that, how believers are lit in on the secret. And even why some people don't quite get it. How God has revealed who He is and what He is doing in the world to us. And then Paul once again reminds the believers of this church in terms of why it seems like there are natural people and there are spiritual people. And what really is being spiritual. Paul says we speak a wisdom among the mature. Paul's not introducing some status or elitism into the church by saying some of you are better than others. There's a higher tier and a lower tier. Paul has just dismantled that in his introduction to this letter. What he's insisting is that the only division that counts are those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Those with the Spirit and those without the Spirit, those in Christ, and those that are not. Rather, the distinction between what he says is mature and immature is not about status. It's not about length of time since baptism. Maturity is applying the way of Jesus in increasing regularity, even when it's difficult, thus proving you to believe what is true about your identity. Proving you believe what is true about your identity. See, maturity is in those moments when you're in a conversation with someone and you feel that prompting of the Spirit to go and maybe give us some encouragement or actually don't say anything at all or just listen. And instead, you, in your mind, you go, nope, I'm not going to do that. I need to tell them exactly what I think and feel and they need to know and be informed about this. You're saying yes to self and no to the Spirit in that moment. Or, or it's those moments when you, you feel the prompting 
to give a little generously. Maybe it had to do something with, I don't know, a blue bucket. And the, the Spirit's like, hey, why don't you just go ahead and donate a bag of candy? And you're like, I don't have enough money in my bank account to get a meal today, let alone donate a bag of candy. And in that moment, are you going to choose that God will provide for you and your daily bread, or will you say, no, I'm going to rely on myself? See, it's the little things, the little choices like that that show up in our everyday life that prove, are we going to put God's will and God's way ahead of our own? And I'm not saying those choices are going to be easy or that we can always, again, rationally see how they're going to play out. But it's those moments when we know I'm to give more of myself or what I have or who I am and be a little bit looser with that in exchange for maybe what you even hold dear. See, God's wisdom, the mind of Christ, is not knowing more. It's truly applying what you know. So you don't have to know much. You don't have to know the Bible forwards and backwards. You don't have to have every verse and chapter memorized. You don't have to have it all together. But what little you might know about the love and grace of Jesus, and how He has changed and transformed your life. It's when those moments, when you have an opportunity to put that into practice, will you say, yes, Lord, or no, Lord? See, maturity is being able to say yes in increasing measure, and saying no less. And this is what Paul is offering the Corinthians is to say yes to God and no towards the influences that surround them. See, they're being influenced by what they think power is supposed to be and what wisdom is supposed to be. Paul is saying, when you actually say yes more to me and my wisdom, it actually brings people together. People who have different backgrounds and stories will move from just tolerating each other's differences to helping each other pursue Jesus and see different perspectives. The mature are those who grasp Christ as the wisdom of God. And what happens is we kind of want to always go, well, what about? We want to bring in the exception. We want to to, to make the rule more like the exception and try to, to navigate our way around that. But what happens is we actually begin to participate in the factionalism that Paul addresses and says that do not embrace this thinking because when you always try to cater to the exception, you actually play into that factionalism. But what happens is rather than focusing on the differences, when you can focus on Jesus and allow the people who are different come together, when you can see the bigger story, it will begin to overcome and bring people together. See, to embrace human wisdom, what Paul is saying, is bad eschatology. And that might be a big word for to you, but we'll get into that as Paul addressed that later in the letter. For it is in alignment with a party that God opposes and whose fate is set. See, when you choose to be identified with a lesser Savior, you are proving that you haven't been defined and directed by a greater Savior. And it's not a wisdom of this age, but it's God's wisdom revealed 
in Jesus. It's determined before the ages. It has been worked out, as Paul says, in the present age, which was brought about for our story. What has been destined technically is God's wisdom. The larger concept indicates that Paul has in view God's gracious activity in Christ. So what happens is as we think about this, and says, okay, Paul, you're talking about the rulers of the age. They don't understand it. And then you talk about this hidden wisdom being revealed. What Paul is saying is, no, God chose to work through Christ. He chose to work through a self-giving so that you can experience a full life, so that you can become fully human. And it's not pulling yourself up by your bootstraps or chasing power or chasing status. It's in fact chasing Jesus. Just as God chose the foolish and the weak for salvation and thereby shamed the wise and powerful who are being brought to nothing. So Paul now repeats that God destined his people for glory, not shame. But he has done so in contrast to the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. See, it's divine irony. It's the upside-down way of the cross. We face the same irony when we desire certainty of the good, lo- good life by the crowd. Anything other than a response to God is being in shark-infested waters. It doesn't matter whether you're swimming or on a surfboard or on a boat. If you feel safer, but you are still in shark-infested waters, you're still in shark-infested waters. It doesn't matter if you're on a boat or on a surfboard or you feel safe and secure. It doesn't change the message that to truly be rescued, to truly have a good life defined is not by creating ourselves nice little boats and nice little securities, but being defined by the cross. See, because the very ones who were trying to do away with Jesus by crucifying him were in fact carrying out God's prior will destined for our glory before time began. Instead of crucifying a messianic pretender, they killed the Lord of glory. Himself, who was the very one who has Lord of the ages, is therefore the Lord of the final glory, the end, eternity. And it's his destiny and ours to be a part of that. See, Paul's irony, of course, is that the Corinthians, in pursuing the wisdom of the world, are pursuing what belongs to this age which is passing away, and whose rulers were implicated in the divine irony. I say all that, and I use that word irony, of that upside-down nature, to set up this. The selfless, pure love of God knew that in creation, He would have to give Himself for you. And I just want to ask this question. Would you still make something if you knew it would break and you'd have to die in order for it to function properly? Would you still make something with your hands, time, energy, and effort, knowing that as much labor of love, time, effort, energy that you put into it, that in the end, it would break and you would have to die in order for it to be repaired? As I thought on that question this week, I had to sit honestly and go, that's a difficult question to ask. I'm not sure I would, or I'm not sure I like it, because 
to count that type of cost is costly. It's difficult. I don't ask that question to the, to the ether and the thin air. I ask that because before time began, before there was creation, God knew that it would cost His life to love and serve and create you. To say, yes, you will sin and you will mess up, but I will lay down my life so that you will have it. So that you can have a full life with me. And it's revealed, not by human wisdom or by effort or might, but by the Spirit. And the reason Paul and other Christian teachers can declare God's wisdom, for, it's because the things he has prepared for all believers to receive, even though these things are inaccessible to humanity, that they have been revealed. The word connects this in verse 6, 7, and 9, that the Corinthians may have thought that some of their leaders were more insightful than others, that they could figure out how the world worked and put it all back together again. And that explained their superior wisdom. Paul says, no. The knowledge of God's plan of salvation comes only by the Spirit. See, the reason you're able to start to put the way of God into practice is not because of your own ingenuity, it's not because of your own intelligence, but it's because God's personal, purposeful favor is towards you, and He's sending His Spirit to give you a wisdom that can chart a new course, that can navigate the everyday things of life. And what Paul is saying here about the teachers that pass this on is that their job and their role is to help others become mature in this way. Because the Spirit searches all things, and even the deep things of God. One of the pictures that this comes to me is as we think about the Scriptures, and as we think about accessing the Spirit, and living the way we cross in everyday life. I don't know about you, but sometimes I go like, how do I actually do that? Like, like, how do I, how do I know that it's the Spirit? How do I know it's not the, the lies in my mind? How do I know it's not just the wisdom of the world influencing me? How, how do I begin to understand the nature of, of the Spirit directing me versus the lies of the world? The Word of God. That's exactly right. The Spirit brings back the Word to the Bible, which is important while we know and read our Bible. But it's also... I, I, I thought of this as it was, it was like you download a, uh, an app for a map on your phone. And as you have that map on your phone, you only know where you've been or what you've gone and what, what you've done. But the thing is, is seasons and life change. You get, you get married, you have kids, you go, get older. Hush, yeah. Things change. And you, and you go, maybe you start a new job. Maybe you connect with a new church. Maybe you start a new friendship. And you're not sure how this friendship is going to go. And what happens is, is, is you know where you've been. You've got the map downloaded for what your past experiences, how, how you've received direction and guidance. 
But as you step into this new territory, you have this kind of map that's now buffering and loading. And you're trying to find your way. The challenge is so many of us, as we step into those new seasons of life, we're trying to go back to old directions and old maps and old navigation. Rather than realize the only one who has ever been in this new territory before is God. Is the Spirit who has access to all the knowledge of God and can give us that wisdom. So what happens is usually we try to navigate our way through new seasons of life using old directions and old wisdom, and usually it lands in a crash. Well, I did that before. Why didn't that get me to my desired outcome now? Because the way we receive directions, the way we receive the definition of the good life, the way we move forward is not by downloading directions from our past experiences or even from others while they can influence and help us. We download our directions from the Spirit who pulls out from the Word of God. And so Paul draws these lines starkly. There are two types of people that live in the world. Those who receive directions from the Spirit and those who reject the Spirit and receive directions from themselves. And we may be wondering, Kyle, that seems like it's a very stark line that you're either on one side or the other. And in our modern sensibility, sometimes we don't like that. We want to know, but we also want to define what's good and what's right in our own lives and in our own ways. And the upside-down way of the cross, the assurance that we can actually have, is attempting to understand we are on the right path, not because of right branding, because of right signaling, or right messaging, but because of the presence of the Spirit. But we are to look not outward, but inward. And we know of the inward work and sustained outward behavioral change. I talk with people regularly, but how do I know that I have the Spirit? How, 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 do, I, how do I access that Spirit on a regular basis? And there's a couple of things that I always walk people back through. Is when you are in your everyday moments of life, and you've had people who have given you wisdom and insight, and you have an opportunity to make a choice, and in one of those choices you are invited, that small quiet whisper in your head to choose something or do something that doesn't quite make sense, the Spirit is speaking to you in that moment. Or even when there's those moments where it's like more, when you're oriented towards self. Where it says, no, how can I protect myself? How can I elevate myself? How can I advance myself? What's happened is the Spirit wants to help us to begin to understand that it's not our wisdom, it's not self-advancement, but it's Jesus' advantage, it's more selflessness. And in doing that, we are actually then assured that we do have a spirit. The same verb to know that is used later on in this passage that's used in verse 11. 
believers now know the gift of salvation in Christ, is a standing direct in the meaning as someone knows their private thoughts, such as their confidence and assurance. Paul labeled the reception of God's wisdom as glorious. It's freedom. We're able to experience all that God has for us. Because we don't have to define ourselves by what others think of us. We don't have to define ourselves by how much control in our life we have. We don't have to define ourselves by how much power we have. We don't have to define ourselves in such a way that says we've got to earn our way to eternity. So God freely gives us salvation, gives us approval, gives us our identity, our new status and state before God in Christ. And the Spirit is able to help that come out in the everyday things of life. I think of a couple years ago, I'll give you the exact date, February 2nd, 2014, when the Seattle Seahawks beat the Denver Broncos in the Super Bowl. Sorry, uh, Broncos fans, got to bring that up if there are any in the room. Now, as far as I know, when that happened, after the game was over, there was no training event on how to share about the victory. There was no classes on how to describe uh, the game and, and how it played out. There were, no one had to hand out tracks because people were too inept to tell the story of the Seahawks' victory. And some of you are like, Kyle, oh, come on, a sports uh, analogy here this way. It's like, hey, you don't have to show pictures or, you know, of the growing chasm of years that separated the Seahawks from the Lombardi Trophy, being ledged by Russell Wilson, Marshawn Lynch, and the Legion of Boom and the 12th Man. i give a shout out to the fans. The fans didn't need help in telling the story of the victory. There was a story to tell. The Seahawks won. And some of you can even tell the story of that victory still. While I can use football as a point here, I think the greater point is evident. We talk about what we love. We talk about what we know. We talk about what we're able to experience and access. And we talk about what works. And we have a far greater story to tell. And sometimes we struggle with the right words or the right moments, the right things to say. And when you've been baptized into Jesus, when you've said yes to Him, when you've been immersed in the water and come out of that watery grave and said yes to new life, you've been given the Spirit. And you do not have to worry about exactly how do I tell this story. You can simply be and live. You don't need to talk. I don't need to say, but you can just speak out of the overflow of what God has done for you. That you are not defined by your past or your failures, but you're defined by God's love. And that is what you're able to share and live and be. So trying to explain this to non-football fans, some of you who go like, I don't even know about Seahawks. Well, sometimes that's what it's like trying to explain the spiritual things of life to people who don't have the Spirit. And so sometimes we do have to slow down and recognize that what we might be saying they might not be seeing or understanding. And in that moment, we have to trust the Spirit of God to work in their life, to actually be our translator, to say, hey, you may not know a thing about football, but here in this moment, they hear the language, they hear what you're saying, 
in their own language and words so that they can perceive it rightly. Because while they may not be able to understand the schematics or the plays or how the Seahawks won, they're able to hear and understand that there is an incredible, exciting victory to be had in Jesus. And they want to see and experience that. See, Paul plays on this word discern here. The person lacking the Spirit cannot discern what God is doing. But this person who has the Spirit of God can portray and communicate who God is and what He has done and what He is like. And that is our job and that is our role as followers of Jesus. Is to rely on the Spirit throughout our days, throughout our weeks, to go on a journey with Him. So when people are looking for directions, when there's warning signs in their life that says, hey, maintenance is needed, they're able to look to you. And it's not because you have all the right answers or because you have it all together, because simply you are following the directions of the Spirit and you're simply available and present. And you might not even have the words to say or know how to even handle or cope with what they're going through in life. But here's the beautiful thing. You don't have to. Who has known the Lord's mind that He may instruct Him? But we have the mind of Christ. As believers, sometimes what we try to do is we get caught up with feeling like we do have to have all the answers. That we have to articulate every point and everything. My hope and my prayer for Generations Church is that we can grow in reliance on the Spirit. So when we head to a new stage or phase of life, that when we encounter people who are looking and observing and are wondering and are experiencing some pain points in their life, that things are out of alignment. That you can say, there is a wisdom that is greater, there is a love that is more powerful, and it can give you precisely what you need as you move through in the moment, you don't have to proclaim your wisdom or say, I can help you get out of this. But you can ask the Spirit to say, would you give me guidance? Would you help me have the mind of Christ? Would you give me the mind of a crucified Messiah so that I can live your will within the world? The gift of the Spirit is a powerful reality. It's something that helps us, that guides us, that gives us life. It revives our spirit. It nurtures our soul. When the lies come, when the mistakes happen, when things seem out of control, it is the Spirit who provides the maintenance for our soul and life and reminds us that we are not what we do, we are not what we portray, but we are who Christ says we are, and gives us the power to live out a life that is true in the future now. To stand in bold contrast to the way it says we can think ourselves to a better future. 
and recognize that God gives us a brain and gives us good gifts. But ultimately, being spiritual is not about what you say or how smart you are or how many times you go to Bible study. Being spiritual is looking to Jesus again and again and allowing that Spirit to access that. To place your faith, your hope, and your confidence in a great and powerful story that we can have freedom and love and favor through a crucified and risen Messiah. What Paul is going to do as we go from here is going to show how that power lives itself out in bringing more people together. How it, how it enables this Corinthian church to move, to serve and love and give. What I want to leave us with is simply this. What Paul says in verse 6, at the end of verse 16. We do, however, speak a wisdom among the mature, not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Verse 16, For who have known the Lord's mind that he may instruct them? But we have the mind of Christ. I am thankful and hopeful but we don't have to pretend like we've got it all together. I don't have to be the smartest person in the room. I don't have to come up with how to awaken people from their stupor to let them know that there's a God who loves them. But in just simply living the everyday things, being an everyday person with the Spirit, that people can know the love and the grace and the hope there is a God who loves them, and that they are loved. And so I hope blue buckets today are one expression of that. A simple gift that says people aren't forgotten, and as the card says in there, there's no story too spooky for us. But we're actually able to live that way every single day. To slow down, and to ask God, what are you doing in this person's life? What are you doing in my life? And how can I point people to Jesus? Let's pray. God, you are good. There are moments and times when I wish I had all the answers. But I could say just the right thing to make people believe. To help other people get it. Because God, that would be more of me and less of you. God, right now, as we're going to go into our response time, as we're going to bless people with Halloween buckets, as we listen to the, the kids laugh and stuff in the bathroom, God, those are just good sounds. God, I, I, I'm thankful for that, 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 that the next generation is knowing about the Lord. God, I praise you that you are a good God who works through us for the good of others. 
Thank you for being a strength when we are weak. Thank you for providing answers when we have questions. Thank you for being present when things seem so absent from our control. Thank you for that, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.